Hi everyone, I'm Elisa and this is Simple Intentions, a podcast focusing on a variety of health and wellness topics to help you live a happier, healthier, more intentional life. Join me as I interview a variety of health and wellness specialists who share their knowledge and some fantastic tips on how we can better ourselves and live a life of intention. Hey guys, welcome again to the Simple Intentions podcast. This episode, I'm chatting to Kath, also known as the Farmer's Wife, from Field to Feast, an organic farm in Sydney, Southwest. Happy, who is Kath's husband, is mentioned throughout our chat. He grew up farming in Tonga and brought those practices to his farm here in Sydney. Together, Kath and Happy have created a boutique farm, growing a wide variety of fruit, herbs, and vegetables using dry land farming techniques which we also discussed throughout. Their farm is completely organic. They don't use any sprays, fertilizers, chemicals, or pesticides. We discussed their story and experiences, gain an understanding of their processes, as well as Kath's beliefs on why consuming organic produce is important for our health, as well as the health of future generations to come. Their farm has enabled them to meet a wide variety of well-known names in the food world, And at one point, Kath mentions their interaction with Costa, the host of ABC's Gardening Australia. I just thought I would add that one in there at the beginning here, just in case you were scratching your head on who Costa is when Kath mentions his visit to the farm. As always, I hope you get something out of this chat. So let's do it. Thank you so much, Kath, for joining the Simple Intentions podcast. Thank you for talking to me today. Oh, you're more than welcome. I like to, I like to talk. Love it. And we have a little bit of a history. So we had a lovely chat the other day. That already went for 25 minutes, I believe it was, half an hour the other day. So I'm looking forward to getting into it. (laughs) Well, to start off, could you share your story on how the organic farm came about? Well, okay. So it all came about by accident. It really is an organic farm. So um, Happy had a security company, which was problematic. And it a lot of things happened at once. His mum passed away. We had decided that we were going to build a shop in Tonga for his, his children over there, his adult children. And so we filled a container. So we were doing four weeks in Tonga. And then he almost got shot in um, the cross. That's where he used to do Oh, wow. Things. Yeah. So all this sort of all happened at once. Um, and then when we went to Tonga and he's like, oh, I'll show you my dad's farm. And I'm like, what? farmer you were a farmer which I'd always wanted to be self-sufficient and I had tried in the past but I'm a hopeless grower um and so anyway when he came back so my design business was quite um big at that stage that was when I had a lot of staff and um a lot of lot of work and I just said to him look you know like we don't want you to get shot and um basically a security business there were a lot of changes in the security industry and then he was also mourning his mum and I said well look I've just found five acres of land we can rent this for just over a hundred bucks a week. Why don't you grow vegetables for the family? <laughs> so yeah. he went out there and um, we leased the land. And for the first three months, he mowed the of land that we had. Then, it, then the guy that came down to plough it for him after finishing spending $3,000 ploughing it for him turned around and said, well, actually, I've got a better farm up the road that you should lease. So Happy looked at it and went, oh, okay, well, we will, we'll move. So we moved on to George's property and have been there since 2007. I didn't know what he was doing. We lived in the inner west at the time. And 
three months later, he goes, we need to find a market. And I'm like, why? And he goes, well, I've got all this stuff I've got to sell. And basically, he planted by himself five acres of fruit and veg. And it had Crazy. five acres of fruit and veg. So, so that was us. We went, okay, let's go to a market. We had no truck, nothing. You know, like we just sort of, and that was the beginning of it. Wow. So how did you find selling the produce at the market to customers, not initially planning that this is where those five acres were going to take you? And was Happy using organic practices from the beginning? It wasn't, it wasn't organic at the beginning. Yeah. So we didn't start off being totally organic. That came later because that was me sort of saying to him that it needs to be organic. And that was an argument we were having where he was, you know, listening to the local people yes. and not listening to me. And it was just over time, like over a period of probably a year that I've managed to get him to go organic. Um, but for me, um, you know, like I, I had my first business when I was five. I drove my parents mad and um, I, I made up, I made up Christmas cards and got on my scooter and drove down the end of the street and set a stall up. So, you know, like, <laughs> the, the point of selling stuff like that's, you, you know, in my blood, also in Happy's blood, because that's what they grow up doing in Tonga. So they, you know, like they grow stuff, they take it to the local market and they sell it on the side of the road. Or So we sort of both had an inkling of where we were going. We just had no idea. We sort of had all the produce and then had to go, what do we do? Yeah. So, um so first off, we went to, there's the Trash and Treasure Market up at Preston. So we, yep. that was our very first market. We got up at three o'clock in the morning, filled the trailer with boxes, drove up there in the dark in the middle of winter, and everything was like bouncing out of the trailer. And people were knocking on our window going, I think these cucumbers and eggplants are yours. And um, <laughs> and we sort of learned, we learned. We, we our first day of market and, you know, we came home with a thousand bucks in our pocket and went, well, there you go. So from there, we then, we went to Penrith Paceway. We went to Penrith Main Street because this was the area where we were living. And then we grew 50 odd varieties of chilies one year because wow. I knew that you couldn't buy all the different varieties of chilies and you couldn't, the Mexican food industry is quite big in Australia and I thought well this would be great you know like these restaurants would be able to get their Mexican supplies and we'll grow them and I can make my chili sauces and which was absolutely just so totally wrong because the Mexicans wanted to buy their stuff in tins and they didn't want our stuff um, but through that I made contact with a lady called Tonya Barr who um, worked for a company called Victor's Food and I said to her, well, look, I know you're from um, California, you know, we've got jalapenos and we've got all these chilies growing. And she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. So we got talking and then she decided to bring tours out to the farm with Victor's Food. So we were, And I introduced her to a lot of the growers in the area. So she made a big tour of coming out to the farm. And then as part of the tour, we cooked. And we had um, Happy put a umu in the ground, which is a big tin. And he would put the rocks in and burn them and we would, I would then adapt whatever we had and we'd make a sort of Anglo-Tongan feast. Like we'd have the loo, which we'd make with all the leaves, and then we'd feed people and they'd be walking over this carpeted piece of ground, not realising they were walking on top of the oven. Oh, wow. And so then what happened then, so this is, this is quite a story. So I think it was 2008, one of the tours they came out with had Joanna Saville and I had no idea who she was but anyway turns out she was editor of Good Food um, in the Sydney Morning Herald she was very yep. high up and she um, also was the director of the Piermont Growers Market back when it was in its heyday 
And she said, I don't understand why you're not at my market. And I said, I don't understand why we're not there either. While I'm standing in the tin shed with my coffee machine, so I'm making all the coffees, standing oh, there talking to Joanna, and she's like, I'm in this rustic tin shed. She said, I've just had an amazing meal that's come out of the ground that was just stuff that you've just caught, random stuff, and a fantastic tour. She said, you should, and I'm, you're, making me, you're making me a cappuccino. And I said, yeah, I know. Next month, we started at Piermont, but not only did we start at Piermont Market, she kicked that off with a full-page story about our farm. In oh, the wow. I just love how it came about so organically from you simply having a need of having too much produce. You know, like me personally, I have a little veggie garden in our backyard and it's so small, but we're growing eggplants at the moment and they are just going crazy. And we end up with so many that we need to give them away to friends and family from just three plants. So I can't imagine what it would be like with five acres worth of crops. Yeah, like that's that's a lot. And we're not farming, Happy's not farming that as intensively now. We yes. used to have quite a few staff back then. Um, but yeah, so from there then, from starting at Piermont, so what happened with Piermont Market, every month a different chef would be introduced to us. And we had, uh, we, we were doing, we started doing Bondi Market, Bondi Beach, which was great. Um, they'd started... And we just sort of increased the number of markets. So we were doing three markets a week. And then because we met these chefs, we were doing wholesale delivery. Um, and we just walked up to organic shops and said, hey, do you want to buy our stuff? And, and they go, yep, because we grew all the weird stuff. We grew all the things you yes. couldn't get. People wouldn't bother growing certified. So at what point throughout this whole process did you become organic? So within that first year, in the first few months. And, we, and then it was a period over the next few years when Happy also let go of trying to water stuff because he, he originally took the sprinkler system out but, and sold it because he didn't want it. That was, it was a Chinese market garden at first. So he took the sprinkler system out, sold it. Then he wanted to put, um, then he was watering and then he was doing bits and pieces. And in the end, he just went back to the ways he grew things in Tonga, which was without watering, which is when we started with the dry land farming. And, and also without absolutely any space whatsoever and we expected when that happened we expected for there to be a period like a year or two where maybe it would take a while for the predator insects to build up but we actually had no problems at all taking the sprays out of the equation made no difference to the farm at all and so local farmers they're so scared to let go they're so scared to not water they're so scared to let go of the spray because what happens and they've got this anxiety of well what happens if something happens and we we just sort of let go and it worked and it's like yeah so you've just been sold you know like a story that you need to do these things and you're fearful that you will not not survive if you don't do it yeah and so we still battle with people nobody's actually followed our ways which is really interesting even though it's been successful we've been going since 2007 um probably dry land farmers since probably 2009 nobody has followed our ways people still go oh no you need to do this you need to look for this you need to and it's like well no no why was it important i guess for you to go organic and how did he feel during that process of going organic in in making that step to switch from his original practices and I guess the way that maybe a lot of other people are farming to then go being, complete organic. Sorry, he was he was being led by local farmers. Yeah. So um, having farmed in Tonga was different. 
but so he was relying on the knowledge from local farmers and of course with me not being able to grow anything and my my input didn't value my input as much as he could and you know and that's fine because you know like I'm not an expert in the field but you know like I've always been that sort of you know like that hippie wanderer that's like no chemicals yeah. are no good but that also stems from the fact that my daughter was born with severe chemical sensitivities. I have chemical sensitivities. Um, we, you know, like knowing, knowing more about it now, whereas she's in her 30s, um, you know, back then it was really difficult. There was a case of, yeah, we had, we had a supermarket. We lived down in Austin near in the supermarket in Thoreau. When you went through the turnstile into the shop, where that first aisle, you had to walk down it. So I used to have to take her down it. And you walk through the turnstile and it was all the washing powders. So by the time I got to the end of that corridor, she was screaming, she was red, her face was in a rash and everything was going on. So there's also another part of the difficulty of letting go is that you've got so many people in the industry saying that produce needs to look perfect. So, you know, like you've got the big players with their, um, their wonky fruit, which I hate, um, because what they do is they're saying, I want you to give me perfect zucchini. You're going to give me perfect zucchini. And if it's not perfect zucchini, I will reject it. And then what they've done, so the farmers are going, well, what am I going to do? And they go, well, that stuff that's got nobbles on it or is a bit misshapen, we'll pay you less for it. But it's actually the person buying it who is driving that. But, you know, that those two zucchini grew side by side. And one of them was misshapen. It's like ugly sister, good sister. Which one's, what's the difference? You know, like there, there is no difference. So, and you've got, you've got the big buyers driving that going, well, I'm just going to reject it. I'm going to give it a bad name. So people think that it should be worthless when really it can be exactly the same or it is exactly the same. So there's that, that part that's driving agriculture is that, you know, like, oh, it needs to grow like this. The kale needs to have no holes in it, it needs to look like this. It, it, you know, your zucchini need to be a certain, certain size. Yeah, I guess as a consumer, you go to do your grocery shop and you know someone has grown your food, but you don't think too much of the processes behind how it got to the shelf. Um, I guess going back to the organic side of growing, why was it important to you to change your practices to organic? And was this something that Happy had learnt growing up in Tonga? Mm, no, no, it wasn't. I didn't have any bearing on him going back to his original practices. I think that just yeah. came about from him going, you know what, this is how I grew and I grew stuff and it was good and the way I've been doing yeah. things is not good. At one point we discovered that we had to buy in um, certified organic greens because we it, it had flooded at the farm and we'd lost all of our greens a bit weather a bit like now and we took them to the market and it was over the space of about three months that we discovered that I was having an anaphylactic reaction to the whatever had been sprayed on the certified organic greens Wow. So that was when we finally gave up everything um, and so what was happening is my face was just bubbling up and my arm was coming up in welts and my eyes were closed. It was so painful. And I had no idea. Like, I had no idea. And there was nothing really that would relieve it. And it was me brushing over all the greens. So that was, that was really the, that was the final straw. And that's when Happy said, yeah, no, if it's, if it's no, if that's what it's doing to you, then we're just not going to have it at all. And, and, you know, Tongans have a big love for children and family. And Happy's like, well, what are we feeding kids? Mm. Their food is poisoned. 
you know, and so many problems with kids having um, attention issues, focus issues, learning difficulties, you know, like if there's a lot going on out there that I believe coincides with the rise of chemical use in ag agriculture. So, yeah, that was, that was we, we just sort of went, yeah, no, it's going to be, I'd been pushing for organic. That's when we got it completely. And we just went, yep, yeah, right, that's it, done. Was it a complete change over, like overnight, that you went organic? And how did you find that process? And more so, did you notice a change in the quality of the produce once you did convert? It was, yeah, so it was, it was a transition, but there was only a few things that you get because you still was sort of growing stuff in the tunnel way to begin with. But it was the, you know, a bit here and a bit there that he would get in that they'd say, this is what you should be using. But then he gave up on all of it. And yeah. it just feeds the soil now, just compost directly into the soil. And that's that's basically it. And um, it's actually been an easier process. The quality of the produce, the flavour is intense. Once he gave up, once he gave up watering at all, the quality of the produce has increased in flavour and things are slower. They're slower to grow, so they develop the sugars in them, so they tend to be sweeter. They also tend to not be as stringy because those strings that you get in your plants and in your stems, that's scaffolding because the plants are growing too fast. And so when they grow too fast, they can't keep up, so they send up its little strings to hold the plant together so it doesn't collapse. Nutritionally, I think our produce is potentially greater because yeah. it grows slower and it has the opportunity to develop. Plus, when you don't spray for pest, pests, pests, plants respond to a pest attack. They produce, they produce this, I suppose it's a chemical or something inside of them, and they also talk to the other plants in the area and they start to produce this again i think it's a phytonutrient so they increase their nutritional value and that's what the pests don't like and then while the pests are sort of sitting there the predators are coming in once you've taken the pests out of it your plants are not having to fight they yeah. wouldn't have to the phytochemical um, and it protects plants from insects attacks but that's where extra nutrients are for us so if you think about nature like you know how long's man been walking this earth i ask this question a lot and i've never actually gone and googled it but he's been on earth for a long time yeah. um and and in that time as well man has evolved so and man had become at the beginning of the 1900s heart disease was not an issue that was something, I think it was about 1930s when someone developed some sort of heart machine and um, the, the medical fraternity were like, well, what do we need this for? We don't have, um, you know, problems with heart disease. So, you know, we human race has lived for a long time. The human race is quite health, was quite healthy. It's evolved and, you know, like, and, and become cleverer, which I would assume comes from nutrition. Um, and in those years, many years ago, people weren't, using chemical sprays they were allowing things to grow naturally they would they were probably putting a more, bit more work into it but um and they probably also didn't poo poo the idea of having something that had been attacked by a pest so you so, just you pretty much you're allowing nature to do its natural thing and it's benefiting from that so pretty much it's soil nutrition is the most important thing so say you oh, when I, you so when you bought your say your five acres 
how did you test that nutritional content in the soil like how did has it not been farmed before (laughs) so you didn't it was just over time you just worked on the soil to we've known a lot of people that have um degrees and and all sorts of tickets in permaculture and all sorts of stuff to do with agriculture and you know they spend all their time worrying about all these tests so you need to do soil samples you need to do this and you need to do that and happy's like well no the plants will tell you so um there was a chinese market garden before we took over and so we learned along the way happy got stuck into the ground and what he discovered is his tomatoes and zucchini had blossom end rot so he went to the guy and said well what's this what's this about and the guy said well there's too much i think it's too much calcium in the soil and he said this is what you need to do you get the organic blood and bone what you're going to do is you're going to spray it on the leaves the leaves will take that down into the root system which will help to fix the soil so he did that and over a period of a month or two everything came good um if he puts stuff in the ground, Happy knows what to watch for. So if something withers and dies, he knows that there's a problem. So he fixes that by doing or moving something else into the bed, which is his rotational farming. But there's never been a time we've done any soil tests. Yeah, that's just so fantastic. Like my natural thought process would be to test the soil. And it's funny with our like with our own veggie garden at home, I often think, do I need to test the soil when a crop doesn't necessarily work? So Happy's just paying attention to the reaction of the crops and looking after it based off that. But so like I often, I often bring the plant world back in and then refer to what we do in the human world. Okay. So you've got a daughter. Yes. Yes. So how do you know that? Did you go and have blood tests done to make sure she had all the nutritional things that she needed? No, I guess it's your eye. I just pay attention to when she has symptoms and go from there. Exactly. So it's the same. So why do we feel that we have to nurse the farms along? We can tell, like, particularly with vegetables, vegetables grow really quick. So you you can get, like, radishes will grow from, like, two months. In that period of time, you can see what's going on. Um, if If we spend too much time faffing around, the cost of fruit and veg is going to be too expensive and nobody's going to make any money. Yeah. So then why did you go with the dry land farming process in particular? This was the light bulb moment. Costa remembered being on a farm somewhere or being somewhere and he said the bamboo tree, the bamboo had roots that was like 50 metres and went to the water in the creek. And I'm like looking at him going, really? And he said, yeah, yeah, because it'll search for water. And so then Happy and I were discussing that and that's when Happy's like, well, yeah, because the plants will go down deeper looking for water. They send out roots looking for water. And that was sort of the bingo moment for this is um, dry land farming. If you don't overwater, if you water your plants, you keep the roots on the top of the soil. If you don't water your plants, the roots and the plants go further looking for it which protects them from the heat and the weather at the top of the soil. And, um, yeah, so little things like we, you know, at times just leave the ground cover because that stops the evaporation underneath whatever's going on. Yeah, I didn't even know that dry land farming was a process, but it makes sense and is obviously working for you guys. Uh, Now let's talk long-term. So for the future of our health, and for our environment as well. 
What are your thoughts on the importance of organic farming long-term? And do you feel it is gaining popularity and is more so heading that way? I'd, I'd really like it if it did. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, every week, I suppose, I feel like I touch more and more people. But the number of people that I reach is minuscule. So as an example, the day you, you and I spoke last week, no sooner did we have that conversation, someone else rang me, they were doing a university um, project and they came in with some preconceived ideas about organics and we, had, we ended up having an hour long conversation about it. And she was like, oh, wow, I couldn't believe it. Um, and she was one that went to farmer's markets and you know did all sorts of bits and pieces. And she just had, her notions were just all sort of a bit askew. Um, I think one of the problems we've got is that, that at the end of the day, people are pretty lazy. And to, to, to do organic, all organic, you've got to really believe that it's going to help you. And you've got to have the money to be able to afford it because you're going to pay more. You, you just are going to pay more. And um, People are like, it's an easy fix to just pick up whatever's close, whatever's put in front of you. Like, but you've got to convince them that they've got to shop differently to be able to get better food. So I'm not sure that we'll ever get to a world where we're all eating organic. Yeah. I'm not sure that it will increase to even 50% of people eating organic until you get to the age when suddenly you go, I'm not well or... I've got gut health issues or I feel like crap and I don't know what to do. And your naturopath says, well, you need to clean up your diet. Um, but even in saying that, you know, like some, there, there is the thought people are sort of, you know, like, oh, well, like I subscribe to, if you can do like 70 to 80% organic, great. If you, if you eat more fruit and veg, that's even, that's even better. Like, you know, double, double down with that. Um, it's hard to be completely organic, but, there's some people that are sort of like, well, if you can't do organic at all, then, you know, that's okay, which is sort of a bit of a mixed message. Yeah, it is okay if you really can't afford to do anything organic, but eventually you will potentially pay for the, the chemicals on your produce. Mm. So potentially may not be seeing effects now, but we may be affected potentially in future. Don't you think, though, that the more we are educated. And even if it is, say, something little where we're getting little insights, say whether it's something like listening to this or watching a documentary, reading, researching, that it could start that thinking process to make even just small changes. Because it also depends on who um, who these people look, look to for their information and their knowledge. So, um, you know, like I have this... You can you can look at people. I have a bit of a knack. You can look at people and you can sort of get a bit of an idea about where their health is. And one of your big indicators is what skin is like, you know, mm. like your, your skin. And for me, I, I think your skin is the last thing generally to be affected, unless it's something that's hit, hit you topically. Like if your skin's problematic, like with excess and stuff, that's an internal problem presenting outside. Um but a lot of people, you know, they get they get it explained away in a certain way and they packaged it up in a box and it's, I've had eczema since I was a baby and um, 
I just use this cream and nothing I can do is going to fix it. And they, those people don't convert. They, you know, when you say, well, but hold on, if you actually gave all of this a bit of a good go. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. And I don't know how to get that across to people that even, even kids, you know, like my daughter, my daughter had um, ADHD when she was born. She was allergic, massively allergic to milk. And that took three months to diagnose. So as a baby, I didn't breastfeed because we had a family history of breast cancer. And at that time when she was born, they thought that there was a link between breastfeeding and breast cancer. So I didn't breastfeed either of my kids. And um, so my daughter was having um, S26. And for three months, she was just, you know, spitting it up. She didn't want it. Her skin was coming off in sheets, literally coming off in sheets. It was awful. And the local nurse went, Oh, I don't think she can have milk. So she went on to soy milk. Soy milk lasted for about three months. So she was about six months at this stage and she got sensitive to that. Um, and that was about the time when she threw her first tantrum, which was hilarious because she was sitting there banging her head on the wall. Like, so we had the chemicals, we had the milk, we had all sorts of issues. Um, when I got a handle on it all, we were her my ex-husband is from Glasgow so when I got a handle on it all she was pleasant lovely her mood her attitude was just calm she was good I used to have to make everything from scratch because in the age 89 90 90s you couldn't buy whatever you needed we went to Glasgow and they totally poo-pooed everything over there about diet affecting kids and so started feeding her all sorts of stuff and of course, she went off the rails again. And she was just, you know, she, you could see she was just, she was angry. Her insides were angry. Anyway, we ended up going to kinesiologist, which was illuminating because they were there and saw what the, what the kinesiologist picked up with this test. And, um, and then he said, well, she can't have milk and she can't have beef and she can't have this and she can't have that. Took it out of her diet and three days later, she was back to being sweet and pleasant and lovely. So, you know, I've sort of seen all of this over the years, whereas other people haven't. Mm -hmm. And they've, you know, young mums have also grown up on a lot of the rubbish of the 80s, the 90s and the early 2000s. So they sort of think it's all okay. And, you know, we're just sort of perpetuating and it's getting worse. So, but they haven't seen the effects of taking it out. Mm, yeah. All right. So to that point, as a finishing question for you, as a consumer, you know, we're quite lucky here in MacArthur and Sydney to have you guys as our local organic grower. Say someone is listening to this and they want to make a change, but don't necessarily have access to an organic grower. What are some tips or advice that you can offer? Well, if you're in Sydney, you go onto my website and you direct from us. <laughs> <Love> <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> but there's a couple of things. Okay, so, you know, like there's been a bit of a move towards people growing their own stuff. If you can put a couple of things in at home or a couple of things in a pot on your veranda and you can manage to keep a few things going, you, I recommend to people, these are the easiest things to grow. Cherry tomatoes, silver beet, cut and come again lettuce. Put your herbs in. So for me... In my, in the way I think about food, herbs, nettles, purslane, they are your top shelf. They're your real superfoods. And the more herbs you get into your food, the better it tastes, the healthier you are. Then you come down, you've got your greens. So silver beet, rainbow chard, 
even if you put a kale plant in, they can be really lovely decorative plants. But you know, you've got your greens. They're, your greens, your greens are really important. They add, they're a prebiotic, which is great for your gut health. They also come packed with lots and lots and lots of nutrients, good nutrients. Um, and yeah, look, broccoli and all of that, it's got a lot of great nutrients, but you know, broccoli is a bit tricky. You grow a plant, you pick it, you pick it a couple of times, and then you've got a whole plant that you, you know, you've got to pull out and it needs a lot of space. Um, so I would suggest you grow that range um, and then source where you're going to buy the rest. So the main things then to look out for is what I call, there's the dirty dozen and there's the clean 15, which I've stolen these terms from America. Broccoli and celery, you should have as organic, or we actually currently sell one we get in, which is um, the company's using integrated pest management, which reduces their pesticide usage. Um, buy the things that need to be organic, as organic as you can. Then offset that with things. So your broccoli is organic because it gets sprayed on the head. And I think it's the same spray they use on organic broccoli as they use on normal broccoli. It's called Select, I believe. Um, cauliflower though, cauliflower, they wrap the leaves up around and tie the leaves to the top and they spray the leaves. So if you buy a conventional cauliflower, get rid of all the leaves and you've reduced the pesticide residue. You will have systemic residues, but you'll have that in organic stuff as well. So then, um, you know, like, so we start building up a little bit of, if you've got your cherry tomatoes growing on your, in your pot or in your veranda or in your garden, you've got some tomatoes. Um, your cucumbers, generally, generally the way the cucumbers in Sydney are grown, they're not sprayed. So you can, you know, like they're not, not necessarily grown in the field. They're probably a hydroponic grown or grown in a polytunnel, but they're generally not sprayed. So, you know, you can, you can probably cut corners with your cucumbers. Um, but your nightshades, like your potatoes, your capsicum, your tomatoes, they should be organic. Um, a lot of fruit, if it's sweet, yeah, if you can do it organic. But if you can get to 70% of your diet being organic, then hopefully you can, that 30% that's not organic um, is not going to affect you as much as having 100% conventional. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like we sort of pick and choose what you do. And that way, you know, you can take the stress out of it. You can go down to a farmer's market. You can order some stuff online. You can grow a bit of stuff. You can go to Woolworths. Um, so like potatoes, organic, sweet potatoes, clean 15. Mm -hmm. Melons and watermelon, clean 15. Apples and pears, organic. Pineapple, clean 15. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so that's how I would suggest that people go about it. And then what they'll find is that the flavour is just so much better. They'll fall so much better and they'll start adding more and more and more in. Mm. I guess my biggest thing is, I mean, I'm Italian, so love food. And, yeah. you know, I mean, I enjoy cooking. So when you're cooking with better ingredients and, you, and yeah. you're enjoying that food and you can enjoy it so much more if it's better, produce and oh, it becomes absolutely. it becomes more fun and it's almost like you look forward to your meal so much more when it is of better quality exactly i um i i cut my finger years ago a few years ago so my hands are not as good so i struggled with had been struggling for a long time in the kitchen um and last september i saw for the first time a um Thermomix demonstration. I'd never, I'd always gone, oh, I don't need one of them. I'm a cook. 
I've now got two. I've now got two. The simplicity of being able to cook a really, really, really good meal and achieve something that's beyond, you know, standard home fare is lovely. Like we, we go out now and go, oh, why do we do that? We're cooking really <laughs> better food at home. We literally are. You know, we've got good ingredients. We, we're saving so much money. Like yes. Uber Eats, nothing on it. It's like, it's just like, oh, yeah, why would we bother? And, yeah, um, yeah and it makes food fun. I think people have lost the connection with food should taste good. Yeah, I agree. I found when you get good produce, whether it's fruit or veg, it tastes incredible and you don't need to add much to it at all. And I think we need to get back to that of fruit and veg tasting how it should taste. Yeah, I feel very lucky to have an organic farmer so close to where I live. And I'm sure no matter where you are, there are others out there that are trying the best that they can. Um, and as you said, to touch as many lives as possible and make a difference for the future and future generations. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that there are. There's like there's an emerging um, group of people that are bringing this story. I just think it's going to take a lot longer than I wish it would. I wish it would, I wish people would see the light sooner rather than later. But, yeah. But, but, but. Mm. Yeah, I, I do believe it may be a slow burn. I mean, it's definitely not going to happen overnight. However, so even something little such as listening to this could potentially start the process of being a bit more conscious, a bit more conscious of your purchases. And as you said, it doesn't have to be buying everything organic from tomorrow. It could just be a little bit here and there. And I mean, I also believe there's a lot of power in word of mouth and becoming more educated in our choices. So if like someone purchases from, you know, you guys or someone similar to you guys, or even starts to make healthier choices and they start to see results, I feel like that can be, that can become a snowball effect of positively influencing others to do the same. Well, and that's, um, and that's why we're, we're starting something. I'm going to do a monthly thing at the farm um, in the middle of the month where I'm inviting people out. We're going to cook stuff for the street kitchen. Yeah. And that way I can, um, I'm not a Thermomix consultant. I use <laughs> it because it makes it easy. I do have a consultant who will be there, but we're going to take our Thermomixes out there and invite people to join us out at the farm and they can come and they can have a meal and they can help cook and they can start having that conversation in our farm kitchen about food and also have the opportunity to talk direct to Happy and I about, well, how do you grow this and see the farm and be able to say, oh, no, I don't like kale and then allow me to give them the opportunity to go, well, no, you do like kale. You just don't like the pesticides that are on kale. That's why it's bitter. And um, so, yeah, so we're going to, we've got a couple of things like that coming up where even the volunteers on Wednesday, I feed them and they're like, oh, my God, this tastes really good, you know, and it's their opportunity to taste something that's outside of um, what they may cook or what they may get somewhere else. So yeah, lovely. fingers crossed, fingers crossed that's more people, yeah. We'll be there. Yeah, like talking to you and the topics that we've covered reminded me of this documentary on Netflix that I watched like ages ago. It was called Sustainable. Um, I don't know if it's on Netflix anymore. I don't, I don't believe it is. But at the time, I watched it like three or four times. Um, it was really lovely. It was about an organic farmer in Chicago and he shared his story and like the restaurants he supplied to with uh, fruit and veg. 
and some of these restaurants were owned by well well-known chefs he had bought back his family's original farm from years of not having it and he fixed the soil with processes similar to what you mentioned like paying attention to the crops feeding the soil naturally balancing like ph of land and like the land were, was thriving where and there were like so many different varieties that were growing you know there was a part in the documentary that i remember that affected me when i was watching it and he mentioned a woman that had bought his produce she'd come back to the farm and she had a type of cancer and she believed she didn't, at the time she believed she didn't have long to live but she said to him like your produce is keeping me alive what people don't get is that our bodies are built on what we're consuming so if we're and our cells are regenerating constantly and if we're putting rubbish in we're building rubbish so I have a bit of a story for you last September Happy was diagnosed with diabetes type 2 diabetes and you know and I've been arguing with him for a long time about his sweet tooth and of course he's mm -hmm. a bit of a you know bit of a um, man um, and he he poo-pooed that so anyway he was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and I also knew that I had to come off gluten so I'm a celiac um, and because the food was in the house it was I was slipping up all the time but I also knew I had to come off dairy because over time it had got to the point that I was having an immediate reaction so I think I'd been a low-grade dairy sensitivity so that's where the Thermomix came in. I saw Mariana came, she showed me the thing, and I went, oh, my God, okay, great, I'm buying it. I said to have you, I'm buying it. This is what I'm doing. So that was last September. Now, I'd been in a couple of really big car accidents through my life, and so I've always had really dodgy blood work. Like, I don't have a spleen. I'd always have problems with my platelets, my white blood cells, and um, my liver, and all sorts of bits and pieces. So anyway, we went strict paleo in September. I got sick a little bit earlier this year, um, but went to the doctor and she said, look, we'll just do some tests. It was my thyroid issues were coming up again. And um, she said, we'll just do some blood tests. And she called me, and this was about three weeks ago, and she called me and I got, she said, I've got to go over the results with you. Oh, and I'd always had problems with my cholesterol, like my mum. My triglycerides were high and my cholesterol was high. It's now March. My blood test came back all normal. Nothing. So my first car accident, the big car accident, was when I was 18. So I had a lifetime of, I've always been a good, healthy person, always eaten really well. But six months is the first time in my life that my blood work has been normal. And that's just from eating good, healthy food. And yeah. so, which is what started with me making the ready-to-made food as well, the salads and the salad dresses and using all the good quality stuff. And so... I turn 59 next Monday. Happy turns 69 at the end of this year. And people look at us going, but we can't believe that that's the age you are. And you would, and I'm also losing weight, which without dieting. So people are like, people think that you ha it has to be hard to get healthy. And this is actually, we're eating more, we're eating better, we're happier. And all the good things are happening just from doing that and eating more fruit and veg. Uh, so fantastic. So it's, it's, you don't have to have cancer to reverse a lot of issues yeah well thank you so much Kath for taking the time to talk to me today uh, I got a lot out of that and I hope that a lot of other people did as well so thank you very much thank you you're welcome it was nice talking to you well there you go guys 
I really enjoyed that talk with Kath and gaining a bit more of an insight into the produce industry, but also hearing about their processes, their story and how it affects our health and well-being. Main takeaways in terms of what we can do if we are wanting to make even a small change in going organic. First of all, just pop a couple of veggies in a pot. Herbs, she mentioned cherry tomatoes, silver beet. You don't have to rip up your whole backyard, but just start simply with a couple of bits and pieces. Secondly, she mentioned your greens are really important, great for your gut health. And then thirdly, just start by purchasing and adding in a few organic elements to your diet and just build from there. It doesn't have to be an overnight change. She mentions the Dirty Dozen and Clean 15. If you're wanting to know more about what that exactly is, I found a few blog posts with some more details on that. I'll have a link in the show notes for that. I'll also add in a link for the documentary that I mentioned, Sustainable. It's not on Netflix anymore. I had a bit of a look, couldn't find it, but you can download from iTunes. I fell in love with it when I watched it and you may get something out of it as well if you're interested. For more details on Field to Feast, their website is www.fieldtofeast.net. You can buy their produce online and either have it delivered if you live in Sydney on Thursdays or you can pick it up directly from the farm in Catherine Field. I purchased one of their bargain boxes on the weekend. I actually ordered it on Wednesday and picked it up on Saturday directly from the farm with my daughter. It was lovely to go check out the farm together. They have a few sweets and other items for purchase there too, so I recommend heading out and meeting Kath and Happy. You don't even have to order online beforehand. You can actually just head to the farm and purchase direct. So definitely head out there. I definitely recommend it. You can also find the farm on social media at Field to Feast Organic. They're on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you heaps, guys, for tuning in again. As always, make sure to subscribe to hear more as well as leave us a review. Enjoy your week, guys. Bye.